You're listening to the Ready, Set, Cloud podcast, a show about trending and difficult topics on serverless and in the cloud. Today, we're talking about modernization, or maybe cloud migration? The two terms are often used interchangeably, which leads to a lot of ambiguity when talking about it. I brought Alex Kearns on the show to help clear up some of the confusion and tell us what it's all about. We talk about migration strategies, how to beat modernization paralysis, and uncover some of the non-technical components of moving to the cloud. Ready, set, let's go. In today's world, everybody is racing to the cloud. Thousands of startups are coming online every year born into the cloud. But what about companies that have been around for a while? As much as we'd like to think modernization means lift and shift into AWS or whatever cloud vendor you use, that's not often the case. There are many ways to modernize legacy applications, and here to discuss some of the strategies and non-technical implications of a big shift is Alex Kearns. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Happy to have you. Now, you're an AWS ambassador and a community builder. What else do you do on a day-to-day basis? So the day job is a principal solutions architect at an AWS partner in the UK called Ubertas Consulting. It's a relatively small consultancy, but really focusing on migration and modernization for sort of small to medium businesses. Excellent. Now, what I want to focus on today is that last part that you said, and I want to kick everything off with your definition. What is modernization and is it different than cloud migration? Depending on the lens at which you look through them, the two can be intermixed quite interchangeably. So the process of moving something from on-premise to the cloud is still modernizing your IT estate. The way that we tend to look at it is splitting migration and modernization into a two-part thing, where migration is the act of moving, modernization may be intermixed with migration, but perhaps typically is an ongoing process. But yeah, people often often associate migration with just this lift and shift idea of let's take it from A to B and not really change it in the middle. But there's so many ways now of moving your applications that as part of that move, as part of that migration, you can bring in the benefits of running in the cloud at the same time without running your application like you would in a data center. Are the end games different for migration versus modernization? They definitely are. Over the years, I've seen very different attitudes from different sizes of business. You always get the customer who just wants to move from A to B. Maybe they've got got a requirement to get out of a data center or a compliance requirement that says we must be hosted in, in two regions and maybe it's not feasible with their current setup. So the end game for that could be, let's tick the box, let's say we're running in the cloud, but running is only half of the story. And this is where the end game of modernization comes in, where there's this big difference between saying we're in the cloud and actually we're making the most of the cloud. And I think that last point about making the most of the cloud is such a wide term because it can mean many different things to many different people. It's especially pertinent at the moment around the serverless debate, yes or no. It is something people should architect towards, should you be serverless first, et cetera. Because a lot of people, I think, immediately jump to the idea that modernizing your application means you must be moving to a Lambda function. You must be moving to a different architecture entirely. 
it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. As part of AWS's migration strategies, they have this spectrum, which they term the seven R's, which essentially goes all the way from retaining architecture sitting in your data center, all the way up to completely refactoring them and moving them into a, a brand new way of running a brand new architecture. And I think it does tell the story of no migration is the same, no modernization is the same, but broadly speaking, I would categorize modernization as we want to start on that journey of making better use of the cloud, migration being we need to get into the cloud. So that's a pretty wide spectrum from retain all the way up to refactor. How often do you see the extremes and how often do you see someone sitting in the middle? From what I've seen, it tends to be split over two stages. So this idea of the big bang migration and modernization all at once, we don't tend to see a lot of appetite for it, primarily because it carries the most risk. So if you are taking your application that's currently sitting and running on premise, maybe it's not running in the best way, but it's working and you completely re-architect and deploy it in the cloud, then you might get very, very lucky that everything works first time but it's going to carry a lot of risk. More often what we see is organizations prefer to go down the re-host or re-platform route first. Let's say that somebody lifts and shifts. They land into AWS, they're using ECS basically as is, right? They've taken what was on-prem or in their data center. Now it's an AWS, it's running inefficiently. How I've typically recommended people who want to start their venture into the cloud and build cloud native solutions. It's using something called the strangler pattern, which is where they rewrite a section of their service, or if they are already into something like microservices, they rewrite a microservice using a cloud native technology. Let's say it's API gateway to Lambda to DynamoDB, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be that, but something else that's cloud native and then start replacing that in their core application. What do these companies often go for first? Do they opt for strangling out some of these features in lieu of cloud native services, or are they spending time and effort trying to optimize their shift, basically right sizing and learning the, the lessons of running the container applications in the cloud? So I think the, the two phase approach, that second phase could be a multitude of different methodologies. So the strangler fig pattern that you mentioned this is a really nice way to be able to say, let's just portion off a little bit of our application, really, really reduce that risk as much as we can. But as with anything, there's obviously pros and cons to every approach. If time is the most important thing and nothing else matters as much as time, then something like the strangler pattern, it's going to give you the reduced risk, but probably will take the longest as well. Doesn't necessarily tick the box for everyone. And that's where the let's get into the cloud and then let's re-architect the whole thing. But again, that then goes the other end of the spectrum in terms of you have less risk than doing it all at once, but more risk than doing it piecemeal and one feature at a time. And I think there's this concept, certainly within the modernization phase of a project, this idea of paralysis sets in when it comes to looking at an application and saying, yeah, we need to make this run better in the cloud. Run better is a subjective term. For some people, it's cheaper. Some people, it's I want to spend the same amount of money, but I want to run it on Rabbiton rather than x86-based chips and get better performance for my money. So there's some interesting bits there around what that modernization means to someone. But on the paralysis side of it, 
when someone's looking at that and they say, yeah, we want to modernize, where do we start? That's where the idea of feature-led modernization does work really, really nicely because it enables you to almost start to ingrain that culture of this is a team or this is a person who is responsible for modernizing this part of the application. And naturally you, you probably tend to find, depending on what the target architecture is as to whether they're modernizing from monolith to monolith or whether it's monolith to microservice. If people are moving to a, a more microservices based architecture, then that process of leading modernization based on a per feature basis does from an organization perspective, start to really clearly define teams that are responsible for maintaining microservices because you have domain experts who have done that process already. It's such a wide and varied area. It's great being able to talk to five different customers and say, what does migration and modernization mean to you? And every one of them will give you something kind of wildly different. Like everything in programming, it depends. They talked about a, a little bit, you touched on modernization paralysis. And, and when you said that, my mind started wandering and trying to come up with a good metaphor for that. And I think I have a good one. You know, I have uh, two small kids. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And there are days when I'm done working for the day, I come down uh, out of my office, I go downstairs and they went on a rampage where all the toys are out on the floor. There's dishes on the counter. There's crumbs on the couch. There's so much uh, to pick up and clean to make the house straightened up that I just kind of look at everything and I'm just like, eh. and I sit down and, you know, play with the kids instead of starting to pick everything up. Is that kind of a, a similar thing? Is that what you mean by the modernization process? Like you, you look at your application in the cloud and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much to do. I don't even know where to start. Exactly. It is that whole thing of sitting there and thinking, where do we even begin with this? As a concept, it applies to both large and small applications. It is not something that's exclusive to enterprise scale systems that have been running on-premise for 20 years. We still see customers who maybe have an application that's run for a couple of years. Maybe it's actually run in AWS for a couple of years and they're looking at modernizing and it's a case of where do we start? The methodology of how you decide is pretty much exactly the same methodology that I would use when you look at migrating things from on-premise, because you've still got this concept of those seven R's, the same concept of saying, okay, let's break up this application into domains or features, something that logically makes sense that we can group people around, group process around, not just the technical aspect. But then actually saying, no, this part of the application is so complicated. If we start with this, it's going to take us six months to understand it. Nothing else is getting done. So being able to make those reasonably quick decisions around, this is where we want to focus our efforts to begin. And the one thing I think I always say to people is it's okay to kind of leave things where they are. Your overall goal might be to move everything to microservices if you're already in AWS running a sort of monolith. But it's okay to do it on a journey. It hasn't got to happen overnight. You can do these things one step at a time. And it's probably something where if it's business critical, be doing it one step at a time. For sure. I had a mentor at my last job who would always say, it's not iteration if you only do it once. And I, I just love that phrase because software is all about iteration. You're not going to ship the perfect products on the first try. It's about the, the small incremental improvements over time. But that comes with a balance 
in itself, because when we're talking about app modernization, that means we're talking about existing applications. And usually that means that there's a user base that is consuming that application actively while you're doing the move. And I'm curious what you have as far as tips and strategies around how do you prevent service disruptions in a modernization effort? And how do you try to make sure that that user experience during the move is as smooth as possible? There's a number of different avenues that this can go down. The, the usual deployment strategies that you would utilize if you were trying to get zero downtime deployments of an existing application. So maybe you'd look at blue green or canary deployments where you want to have your new application running in parallel for a short while, making sure that the traffic going to it is, is still performing as expected before you kind of finally retire that old piece of the application. In terms of other ways you can look at it, one thing that I really quite like the idea of is this sort of idea of, of micro front ends that I've seen thrown around and I, I haven't ever really explored them and still trying to conceptualize it in my head a little bit, but this idea of being able to swap out parts of the front end of your application to point to newer versions of your application on the back end. So your end user gets a seamless experience, but behind the scenes, you may have two quite disparate systems running it. That to me seems quite interesting. And I'm sure that much like microservices, there will be a huge debate on whether it's a good thing or not. I've also seen the term minimum viable migrations used before. And this idea of actually saying, what's the least we can move to make this thing work? If we're looking at this as a, we must move this or we must modernize this, then trying to figure out what is our critical path through the application here. Let's try and ignore the side effects. Let's look at what absolutely must happen in order for this to be moved somewhere else. Starts to enable the unfreezing of modernization paralysis, where once you have that clarity to say, I know exactly what I need to move, then it starts to make it easier to map things. So that's interesting. I've never heard of the phrase minimum viable migration. It actually makes me laugh a little bit. It's pretty funny, especially the way you described it. What's the least we can move? Does that lend itself toward monolithic applications or is that something that's more distributed like a microservice-based application? I would typically see it as something that works better for monoliths if you are looking at it as a modernization effort. Bearing in mind that modernization can take many different guises. So the act of moving an application from EC2 to uh, ECS Fargate could be making zero code changes other than a Docker file, but to me, it's still an element of modernization. If you are looking at modernizing the application rather than the infrastructure, that's where I think the minimum viable migration piece starts to come in because you, you can look at your application and say, in order for us to make this business critical modernization or this business critical migration, if we are tight for timescales or we're tight on budget, then being able to see these are the things we absolutely must move. If the other things aren't there on day one, it's not ideal, but it's okay. You made an interesting comment that I picked up on. You said that if you're only going to be focusing on infrastructure changes in your modernization effort, you didn't give the alternative. What's the alternative? What, what are the two different things that you can modernize? Because in my head, I jumped to, okay, that's architecture. That would be the other thing that you would be modernizing. But when we're talking about cloud native, that's almost always 
at least in the serverless world, synonymous with infrastructure as well. Is there something here that I'm missing or, or what do you mean by that? So I, if we imagine a source state in a modernization of a monolithic application running on EC2, somebody has migrated it from an on-premise data center, it's lift and shift, it runs, but it, it kind of works. To me, that's where the two parts of modernization come in. So we have the infrastructure modernization, which realistically is a, a kind of re-platforming effort. It's a, let's move this onto something where we know it's going to be managed for us in terms of hardware. So let's move it onto ECS Fargate. Let's move it somewhere that we haven't got to think about FSHing into the server and updating kind of core libraries. The other part is where I guess it does start to intermix, which is the application modernization, which is more linked with the kind of feature-led strangler fig, where you'd look to break up your application, actually changing source code to say, we accept that in order to make the most of the cloud, our application source code cannot stay the same as it is. So we want to change it by shifting incrementally to microservices. And to me, in that scenario, I don't think you can do one without the other, because you, you may want to move to microservices all powered by EC2, but it perhaps doesn't always jump out as an immediate choice for architecture. So I think. When we look at those two types of modernization, one being infrastructure associated with lift and shift, re-hosting things, re-platforming things, no real core changes to the application. The other being application changes, which have a side effect of needing to re-architect and choose new infrastructure as well. Gotcha. Thank you for explaining that. I want to shift us a little bit to talk about the elephant in the room, the technical side. It's a very small piece of going into mm. the cloud. There are significant organizational and business changes that need to be made when you start moving into the cloud, you know, because of the usually new higher availability that you have to the new skill sets that need to be learned. There's a ton of things that are non-technical that people often don't think about when they think about, oh, I'm just going to modernize my application. So what are some of the steps? that you see a lot of people or what do you recommend for the non-technical side of approaching a cloud modernization effort? There's always this initial step of evaluating appetite for change. And sometimes you have to be quite strong with customers to say, this might not be where your initial thoughts were. This might not be the comfortable way to do it. But if you want the most value, this is what we'd recommend. So that, that initial step of Let's understand from a customer how far they're willing to go in terms of change. As you probably would expect, the typical responses you get to those questions, you can normally put them on a scale aligned with the size of business, smaller businesses being generally more willing to change, larger enterprises being perhaps more resilient to change or more slow moving in the way they would want to change things. Exceptions to that rule, of course, but typically that's where we would, would see it. Once you have that appetite for change, it's then working really closely to understand what existing skill sets are. And this changes depending on of the type of project you're doing as to, is it a migration for a data center? If it's a migration for a data center and they have loads of kind of sysadmin 
experience, but no real cloud knowledge, then maybe you'd look at a kind of path that is smoother by not breaking the application up and turning it into kind of entirely cloud native microservices. Maybe you'd look at moving them into an environment that's more comfortable to start with and then taking them on that longer term journey. The other big one is, is almost nothing at all to do with the people involved in the application, which is going to be kind of the business process and finance side of it as well. So this idea of transitioning from, okay, once a year, we pay this 20,000 pound bill for this server, that's it. We use it, et cetera. And transitioning to this idea of actually we can kind of predict, but can't guarantee our bill is going to be this each month is a really hard change. And it's not one that I think there's a single answer to because the actual process of handling that I think is quite straightforward, the technical process, the mindset shift across a business of actually, if you want to do more, then it isn't necessarily going to cost you another 20,000 pounds to get another server to test things on. You can spend $50 and you've got something for a, a week or so, set something out. There's a big culture shift around the way that, that costs are incurred. And then one that I've experienced, not in this job as much in a previous role was around security. So this kind of idea of people who had been used to working in a very secure on-premise environment, the moment that the cloud is mentioned, it's like blinkers go up and nothing gets through. And you have to kind of really sit down with people and, and say, do you not kind of realize how much is running on AWS? If there are government departments running on it, if there are businesses that you are more than happy to trust your data to running on it, then is it not good enough for us? And that idea of, if I can't go and touch the hardware, then I'm not really comfortable is again, a really, really difficult one to try and overcome. And it's something actually, I, I wrote an article quite recently about the, the sort of fallout of the prime video serverless. It's a good way to put it. And the kind of outcome I, I took from that was actually it's okay if something isn't the right job for your task. I think that the metaphor I used was if you're commuting to work by walking or, or by bicycle, because your job's three, four miles away. Suddenly you have to change job. Your job's now a hundred miles away. You suddenly have to drive or get the train or whatever. That doesn't mean that walking and bicycling are bad. It just means that it's not the right job for what you want to do. And the same can be said about, well, most technologies, obviously in this case, sort of serverless, especially this idea of it's okay. If it's not for you, you haven't got to use it, but if you're worried about it, not scaling, then here's a load of numbers to say, actually Amazon use it. These are the figures that come out from obviously Jeff Barr relating to the prime day and how many millions of transactions that the DynamoDB and SQS handle per second. And again, it's coming back to that. If it's architected correctly and you're using it right, and your application has been modernized to make the most of it, then if it's doing this for Amazon, surely that's enough for you as well, because if I ever get to a situation where I am dealing with a customer that's got that many millions of transactions going through DynamoDB a second, then well, it's, it's a good place to be.
it's a fun challenge to have, but I think there are quite few. For sure. Yeah. The, the prime video thing, I come back to, it's not iteration. If you only do it once, you know, mm -hmm. they chose the serverless route because that was what would get them to market the fastest and they did. And then they started getting in the valuable feedback from the field, uh, you know, the, the hard data. Then they made their adjustment to match the throughput and everything else, the budget savings, everything that they had to do. Okay. So I want to summarize what you said, because that was a lot for the non-technical implications. So you said one, evaluate your appetite for change, because that's really going to set the tone for everything else down the line. Two, evaluate the skill sets of your employees. After you do that, then you kind of need to identify the moves that you're going to make early on based on those skill sets. So you're not taking somebody from hot water to cold water to yep. say it one way. Another thing that's on your list that's not necessarily sequential to those things is adjusting your mental model for finances in the cloud because it's different. It's not always a fixed set. You're going to a variable price model, pay for what you use. It's going from I pay this to now I'm going and have this many servers and I'm going to pay for this many servers for the amount of uptime that they have. Uh, and then think, the last thing that they have, which to me has been, I agree with you, is the hardest part. And this is the part that I've received the most pushback on. It's releasing control. It, it's really leaning into that shared responsibility model that you get by moving into the cloud and saying, okay, you have access to the hardware. You keep the hardware maintained and updated. I'll do the business side of the house. And that one is, that, that's hard. That's... You almost yeah, have I to mean, start with that. Okay, get ready. You're going to lose control here in a minute, but control is an illusion anyway. They're all so tricky to get right. And I think especially that cost one, because the cost one works both ways. It's a, yes, you're only paying for what you use, but also if you're not using the cloud correctly, you're paying more than what you need to use. We, we do a, a fair few well-architected reviews comparing people's architectures to AWS published best practice and the things you see around the cost front I mean, cost is such a massive driver at the moment. There's certain things that I know the NAT gateway thing is, is always a bit of a meme when it comes to cost, but when you look at AWS documentation, when you look at, okay, how do I set up a network? It's not really that obvious that if you want to have a VPC and you want to have three availability zones, it's going to cost you 200 bucks a month for your NAT gateways. And then it goes along and says, yeah, you should really have three accounts, one for each environment and these accounts as well. And that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger without really any mention of, have you thought about centralizing this? And that relating to that mindset shift, it's that establishment of the sort of cloud center excellence, at least a kind of cost optimization function in the business that keeps on top of things like your bills increased by 50% this month. There's been no new work go your way. Where's this come from? It's always easier to knit things and butter than it is to do it in one big bang at the end. I agree with that. That reminds me of a saying that I heard. There's the 110-100 rule where the earlier you catch it, less it's going to cost. You catch it at, at dev time. I know we're not really talking about development, but you catch it at dev time, costs 1x. You catch it in your QA process or your CI pipeline, it costs 10x. Catch it in production, costs 100 times it would have if that developer had uh, been able to catch it at, at the very beginning. 
That's why I almost think I know there are some Terraform tools that, that surface that data quite nicely in that you can see this is what the predicted increase in costs is by, by this Terraform plan. But to me, it's all the data is there in AWS. So it's something that really should be shown in CloudFormation. When you create a stack and it'll say, you leave this lot running for the month and it's going to cost you this because it's so easy to run up big bills. Yeah. So easy. For sure. With that, we are uh, running a little bit low on time. So this has been a fantastic conversation. Learned a lot. What would be the best way for people to get a hold of you if they have questions around modernization? Sure. So either LinkedIn is probably the best place. I don't do a lot on Twitter anymore, but just my name on LinkedIn. So, so Alex Kearns will we'll find you either that or my website. So alexkearns.co.uk. I do all my blogging. There's kind of records of talks I've given on there as well. In coming weeks, I'm going to launch some AWS workshops as well, which are very much designed to be kind of what I'm terming as best practice workshops. So these are all completely free, completely open source things that I've learned and want to give back to the community. Well, all right. Thank you very much. Again, love the conversation and we'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode of the Ready, Set, Cloud podcast. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date on the latest episodes. For more info on trending cloud topics, be sure to visit readysetcloud.io and sign up for the serverless picks of the week newsletter. I'm Alan Helton, and we're out of here. Thank you.